This event was recorded live at the 2014 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Thank you. I feel quite far away. I'll shuffle closer. Oh, that's good, yes. Good morning. Morning, everyone. Uh, it's very lovely to have you here with us at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name is Janet Smith and I'm one of the programme directors here at the festival. And uh, we tend to begin our planning for the following year in October. And when we meet all the different publishers, there is always a handful of books that really give us such a hiccup of excitement. Um, and when uh, I met Irma's publisher, and she said, Irma Kurtz has a new book. I had that hiccup of excitement <laughs> because, and I'm sure many of you are the same as me, I have been reading Irma Kurtz for many years. She has been Cosmopolitan's agony aunt for four decades. But over and above that, she's written fiction, travelogues, and self-help books. And boy, has this woman had some life, <laughs> which is very much a part of what is in here. But this book's quite interesting because it is primarily an autobiography of her professional life in agony. But please, first of all, this morning, will you all join me in giving a very warm welcome to Irma Oh, you very quite an interesting book because it is autobiographical because obviously it is very much bits of your life but it is primarily more uh, reflecting on on us and what we come to you with um, but I'm quite intrigued as to why now why have you chosen to to write about it now well 40 years is a very long time uh, and it's the right time mm. partly because things are very much on the change Young Agony is beginning to be quite different from what Agony used to be, for various reasons that I'm sure we'll all go into, because <laughs> it is true, you know, we live in a social media mm. world now, and that has changed quite a bit of the nature of Agony. But also because the time is now, uh, while people still read hard copy, mm. for example. <laughs> it's... Um, it felt right. That's a funny thing about, about a life, all our lives. If you listen to the inner voice, it usually has the right idea. And it did say it's time. <laughs> that, I like that idea of the inner voice because throughout the book, there is an ongoing <laughs> conversation between two fantastic characters, common sense and wisdom. And they, they have this little playoff against each other all the time. Sometimes they have little arguments, but other times they agree with each other. I mean, where did that, that is that what plays in your head when you're responding to our I, agony? I think that a, an agony aunt, first of all, in my opinion, is related to the white witch. She's descended from the old woman at the bottom of the lane. <laughs> really, seriously. And mainly what she has is common sense. Mm. Uh, it's not psychotherapy. It's not yeah. a school of thought. She never graduates from a school of thought. She goes on thinking. <laughs> and common sense is a great gift, uh, in my opinion, but don't tell anyone. 
I think women have it to a greater degree for reasons <laughs> probably that have to do with keeping the home. Mm. Um, and common sense does not always become wisdom. Wisdom is a step higher yeah. and sees further. Uh, but only common, you must have common sense before you can have real wisdom. More than an education, it's an observation. There, there were points in the book where I felt a little uncomfortable because I was aware when Kazerma uh, Yuzi's uh, letters that she's received, which are almost, um, I suppose, uh, examples of, of the different issues and problems that have come up over the many years. Um, and there were things in there that I could completely relate to, but I hadn't used particularly good common sense in my own response oh, to them. Well, <clears throat> <clears throat> don't worry in the front row. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's hay fever. It's, I'm not, I'm not infectious. Not infectious. Get some water there as well. <laughs> well, you know, oh, it's a strange thing. There, there, there is a belief that the agony aunt, in order to know what to say to people, mm. has to have been through it all herself. This is not true. We never survive it all. Uh, this isn't true, but it's very important to observe. Mm. You keep watching. That's why often the traditional agony aunt uh, is, a, is a solitary. She often is um, not a family woman. Mm. Um, don't tell my daughter-in-law on the triplets <laughs> I said that, but, but it, it, it is true. It's observation of the behavior of others and treating people as individuals. Mm. That solitary aspect is quite interesting because from quite a young age, you made a very conscious decision to leave your native U.S., and head off on your own to Paris. I mean, where, where did that, because you oh, were very young. I had to. Um, first, because uh, I was young, mm. and my destiny for women of my age, and I'm sure some of you out there will understand what I mean, my destiny was laid out for me and I didn't like it. No, I'm sure the lawyer, uh, I am an American, you may have guessed, uh, the, lawyer in Connecticut and the two cars, that's very nice, but it just ain't me. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I'd gone to Paris on a student tour and I'd fallen in love with Bohemian left bank Paris. Uh, with Paris, not with a man, I wasn't mm -hmm. following, it was Paris. And uh, when I left, when I was finished at university, I became a waitress for a year and a half, two years, because my parents disapproved so profoundly and bought my freedom, mm. uh, bought my own way out. They forgave me eventually. It, it <laughs> took a while. It took a while. <laughs> and it's interesting as well that you say you bought your freedom because I'm very conscious in the book, um, you had a friend with a flat that looked out onto a women's prison and you talk about watching the women uh, coming out to the recreation mm. area. And uh, also throughout the book, you talk about the way that we build our own prisons whether it's emotional ones or you know, physical prisons, your friend Lorraine, for example, who put on huge excessive amounts of weight and kind of imprisoned herself within it. Yes. So already you've talked about that and you've talked about freedom. And I'm very curious about, have you, have you got that constant feeling of, of wanting to fly and, and... That's really, you know, I'd never thought of it before you mentioned it. It just, it's so natural. 
that I hadn't really thought of that, but you're absolutely correct. I'm, um, I've traveled a great, I yeah. love traveling. Even now, though I don't travel as widely, for many reasons, partly because it isn't as easy, the world's got smaller, yeah. there are more rules. You I used to love to go on impulse to somewhere I've <laughs> never been before. Um, and just a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, I think I'll go to Sardinia, why not? It's, uh, do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, I feel that, now, again, I can't say this is true of everyone, and a word that I try to avoid using is should, because that means, because I say so. <laughs> and, uh, but I think we are born to the world, We're mm. to the whole world. And what we make of that then is up to us. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean I think everyone should go to Sardinia on impulse or, uh, <laughs> but, but the world is there and it is ours. And I do believe it's important to let our next generation know that, especially of girls, yeah. because at last the world belongs to women too, mm. at least in our society. And we can travel and we can do things too. Yeah, and we have choices. Yeah. Now, choices bring problems. Yes, they do, <laughs> because everything you choose, there's something you haven't chosen. However, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you talk as well about um, the idea of women having it all, which is kind of very much a you know a thing in the media, but always coming out at a price, and that very uh, difficult balancing act as well. Yes, increasingly difficult for the younger because there is one thing women can do that men still can't quite. It'll be any day now, but we can have children, <laughs> and um, uh, it makes our choices much more complex. Mm. Um, I increasingly am receiving letters from young women saying, I never want to have a child. Yeah. Because they're ambitious on a different ladder. Mm -hmm. They're in love, though, or they wouldn't be writing to me. They're in love with someone, but I never want to have a child. And um, I just tell them, that's a door you do not slam. You don't want the child now. You don't want to have a baby now. Fine. Mm -hmm. But don't think you're slamming a door. Mm. And do you think that's something that we, we as a society still slightly judge women on? That if you, you have made a choice not to have a child and... Of course. Mm. It, it, there, is a, there is a judgment. Now, once again, whether the new generations are going to be quite as harsh in mm. that judgment, I'm not sure. But there is a judgment and it's, um, it's one you can hardly avoid making. Mm. It's a woman who has decided not to do something that, not to use the plumbing. <laughs> Can we talk about your choice to be a mother? Yes. Because it's slightly unconventional, no surprise. I think we've all established <laughs> that Irma is slightly unconventional. But yeah, you, 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 that was a very conscious decision I for you, to. wasn't it? I yeah. knew that I, now that's what I mean about not slamming doors. Mm. Because I was already in my mid-30s. And nowadays, lots of women are, but this, yeah. is, this is, my son's 40. And I knew that I was one of those women who had, one of those human beings who had to have progeny. I had to have a child. I also knew I'd be good at it. <laughs> and it's very hard not to do something you know you'll be good at. 
But I, I, I just knew I had to. I had a lot of women friends in that period who were the feminists, mm -hmm. and a lot of them were childless, by choice, some, some not. And uh, I, I knew that I'm one who must, and I will not, and this is very dangerous for an agony aunt to say, I wouldn't dream of saying to all women, you must, because I know I had to. Mm. Our own experience is only one. Everyone's entitled to their own decision. Whatever you do when there's a choice, there's something you don't choose. Mm. That's the one thing. So you're always weighing. And do you think it's different for men then? Oh, yes, it still is. Mm. Things are, yes, they are changing, but of course it's different. Mm. Again, the plumbing is different. <laughs> and, and that, that makes it, uh, of course it changes your, your approach. Your body talks too. Mm. Those of us who, uh, for example, I've stopped eating meat uh, a few years ago, not because of any emotional uh, reason. My body just said, okay. <laughs> That's enough. Do you know, I, I know it sounds a bit, um, but uh, you're, and there is a decision that only a woman, there are things that only a woman can decide for herself. Mm. And men do not make that same decision. Yeah. They, theirs are, in general, more competitive and more earthbound. Mm. Um, you, you kind of have already hinted at this just when we started to talk, and we were discussing this as well um, just earlier this morning, about the whole idea of society and how it's changing and the different agonies that perhaps are coming to you now. Um, and we were talking about that idea of loneliness as well and mm. the choices that, that women especially can make perhaps one of those choices, if it's you know because you want career or you want travel, then what you lose out on perhaps is you know a long-term relationship that you know leaves you with a sense of loneliness, perhaps. Yes, but you know something. I think loneliness is more than a one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. It's more than more than just a long-term relationship. Uh, our families are smaller, mm -hmm. uh, far flung. Um, now there's a whole here, this is another book, so watch yourselves. <laughs> women, friends, friendship among women. Yeah. I have touched on it in this book, but it's a very interesting area and also different from friendships among men. Mm. Yeah. One of the new things that I receive a lot of these days is friendship with benefits. You know what that is? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, uh, of course nobody happy writes to me, and I only get them, but the, then they wouldn't appear to be any more successful than communal living was for the hippies back yeah. in, the, in the 60s and early 70s. Um, it, it, we're sexually, we're different from men. We, what can you do? We better stay that way, at least until we know how to make babies in, in test tubes. Now, <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> there's a good reason for the difference. Um, I suppose one of the differences as well in terms of the letters that you probably get now is that uh, they're, they're arriving by email, yes. um, Facebook and, and that sort of thing. And do you think people perhaps that, that old process of writing and uh, the, 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 just writing things down, quite often you begin to work it out and your common sense mm -hmm. kicks in. But now firing off an email, it's sudden and quick and perhaps people offload onto you more than oh, they no, might have they, done. They don't, they, less. 
Uh, they send me the problem now. Uh, where's the pill I can take for heartbreak is really what, what it feels like, you know? They, um, they, the pro it's short, it's uh, send, that's it. Uh, it's much harder to read the person who's having that problem. And of course, the solution to the problem depends on the person. Mm. Uh, the solution is next to the problem within the person, no? So in the letters, sometimes they would be eight, nine, ten pages. Right. Not rare, not, a, oh, the postman hated me. <gasps> and they, they would, frequently they'd end, oh, don't, don't, you don't have to answer this because I see it so much clearer now. Ah. And also, I became an amateur graphologist. <laughs> I could, I, honestly, I'd look at a handwriting and I'd think, hmm, uh, nothing mysterious. This is experience. Uh, yep, here we go. This is going to be jealousy. This is going to be, you know, in, inside. Uh, and there were underlinings, there were tear stains. Wow. And when things were crossed out, you could hold them up and see, see what they yeah. really wanted me to hear. You know, <laughs> too late to change your mind about writing that. Virginia Woolf said it, and as usual, better than I can. But she did say by writing, you get a hold on things by writing them down. Yeah. And I think we are losing that hold uh, a little bit, the young people are, with emails. But we're talking about me, the agony aunt in print. Mm. But on the trains and buses, yeah. I travel alone. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. the confidences and the things that I hear from generations. Mm. Uh, the kids still talk their pain. And because uh, in the book, Irma talks about how uh, even sitting in the cinema or on a train, even though there's loads of seats around her, 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 her face, we all know Irma's face, and people do sit next to her and suddenly open up. So you've got a, a bit of a balance of uh, earwigging on the top of the bus and also... I'll tell you something, it's not my face. <laughs> it's not, I tell you not. I mean, I don't, hey, come on, you should see my face on a day when I haven't put the... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that they know I'm... It happened long before I was ever in print. This has been going on all my life. I love it. It's why they, they, people, we know about each other a lot more you than think? we. I think we know things the way other animals do. And to a degree, yeah. I'm not being Miss Airy Fairy about this, it's just true. And I think they see a woman on her own, um, and, it, it usually, and usually it's somebody younger than I am, yeah. and they feel safe talking to me. That's really uh, interesting because it's, it's a vibe. No one, no one does it to me when I sit on the train. Maybe they just... don't feel safe talking to you. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so you think that there, we've got that kind of instinctive? Oh, I'm, I'm a great believer. Actually, to... if I do a reading later, mm. I do. I do. Uh, I think we have the sixth sense, and I don't think there's anything mysterious. Um, uh, it isn't. It exists in other animals, and I think we have it too. We know, I don't mean we know everything about, mm. but we know more uh, than, sometimes more than the other would like us to know, because an awful lot of our behavior is defensive, mm. and uh, we dedicate an awful lot of our energy to defending ourselves from revelation, mm. to ourselves too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I could natter on. You do talk <laughs> as well so, about that, that importance of being honest with yourself. Yes. I've noticed that 
the great lies begin at home. Mm -hmm. Before even, I'll bet that the best con men, the most uh, best, you know, the ones who make the most out of it, have to persuade themselves first that they deserve what this person has. Why should she have that? Why should he have that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, lies begin at home. And that means that if you're going to find the truth and you want to make your way out of happy, unhappiness into happiness, you've got to find the truth at home. Mm. So the first person you have to be honest with is yourself. Yeah. And that's difficult, but it oh, it's worth the effort. <laughs> Believe me, that was my escape from America. I mean, it wasn't easy then, but I mm. remember thinking then, and that's when it came to me, I, I have to get out of here mm. because I can't do this. I can't be what I must be if I stay at home. Yeah, and, and you had that as well when you decided to leave Paris and then come to the UK and London. That was disappointment. Yeah. Uh, disappointment of first love. Uh, I mean, first love of a play. Yeah. I was in love with art. I was in love with the Bohemian buzz. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't have dared have called myself a writer, but I was keeping lots of journals. and. Yeah. Um, in love with what wasn't there in the end. Mm. Uh, it was perhaps nowhere except, again, within, but it took me a while to learn. Mm. And Paris broke my heart, yes, as first loves often do. Yes. I go back now in a state, I look at it, and I, I can't believe it. It's so beautiful, but it's not there. Well, that's interesting. Well, it happens. Uh, you see, oh, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> I mean, in London, which is a collection of villages, yeah. when the Bohemian scene moves, it moves somewhere. In Paris, it didn't go anywhere. Mm. It just, whoosh, because yeah. it's, uh, it's an encircled city, beautiful city, but locked in. And uh, of course, Paris isn't the only love affair you've had in your time, Irma. No. <laughs> no. I have to say... You're the only unsuccessful lover. <laughs> um, I was quite intrigued by Douglas being Scottish. So was, was I. Douglas. Yes, I was. <laughs> Can I say his surname? Yes. I get Siebold. Ah. But he grew up in Argentina. As you well know, uh, there were a lot of Scots who were helped mm. to design the railways and yeah. build the railways. And his family stayed. Yeah. And he was the first, yes, it, the first time I fell. Woo! <laughs> My goodness, yes. <laughs> and he also was a traveler, so do they... He was a sailor. We yeah. lived on a boat together for, for quite some, a 12-meter sailing vessel. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were, no money. He was a, he was a, a, a silver, uh, he made things in silver and gold, jewelry and really? things. But he couldn't <laughs> live in a big city. Mm. And I need a big city. And that was part of it in the end, uh, why we had to separate. Because uh, that's uh, probably the, the most you get uh, about Douglas. And you're very clever in the book about <laughs> only opening the curtains a chink to let us spy in. But we, don't, we can't quite see everything. Yeah. And there's a little bit where you drop in um, this anecdote about traveling to the Deep South and ending up in a Ku Klux Klan meeting. Oh. And then there's another bit where she talks about coming back from Vietnam in the middle of the war. But there's... I was a real journalist uh, for a long time before I became an agony aunt. Mm. 
professionally an agony aunt because there's a big difference. But I did it because I had a child to raise and it was a st oh, yeah. I couldn't go off to war zones. And um, I have been doing proper journalism, mm. including, yes, um, a stint because I wanted, oh, it, it's, I'm sh ashamed of this, I wanted to see a war zone. It's like the women of the 18th, 19th century, you know, <laughs> holding up their skirts to go look at Bedlam, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I learned a great deal. Yeah. And also got a free trip around the world mm. uh, from Qantas. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw more than Vietnam on mm. that journey. Yeah. It was wonderful. Qantas gave me a first class air ticket. Wow. And I was first class in the air, but I had no money at all in the land. <laughs> so between flights, I was living in youth hostels and all that. And then whoosh. <laughs> That's a nice balance, though. And you have admitted in the book that you and finances are, are, not, oh. are not the best of friends. Yeah. No, we're, we're opposed to each other. Money doesn't like me. <laughs> and do you think that also kind of helps in your ability to have a sense of freedom and to up sticks and move on if you're not tied by you know financial yes. constraints of one kind. It helped more before my son's wife had triplets, but <laughs> <laughs> talk about financial constraints. <laughs> but it, um, in a way, I, it, I don't, it's just that money's everything mm. and it has become increasingly so. Yeah. When I talked about loving Barry's, when I talk about my love of Bohemia, part of the reason it's gone is that money has taken over everything. Art, mm. um, I'm not going to go become an art critic now, but look how much of it is based on sales mm. and no more on, on intuition, on beauty, on creativity, on wit, on, but on sales. Mm. And it seems to me that's been happening increasingly in my life. And do you see that reflected in the letters you're now getting? I certainly do. Uh, there's always been the problem of parents disapproving of a daughter falling mm. in love with somebody who isn't making a lot of money. That's always been there. Fortunately, the people who write to me, are, it's matters of the heart. Mm. They have uh, accountants <laughs> to take care of that. I don't speak finance, I can't. And on those matters of the heart, there, uh, there's a really lovely bit where you talk about um, the cultural differences as well, mm. and especially in a much more um, cosmopolitan international world, and London in particular, where there's all these different nations coming together. That, of course, means that there's going to be tensions between um, perhaps parents and more traditional ways and first, second generation youngsters living in the UK. Well, I did uh, a column briefly, the, a, a Cosmo used to use me to do a column in a new Cosmo, because they're mm. all over the world in various countries, until they found somebody. So I would do it and get the letters coming in and then pass it over. Yeah. And I did one in Japan, mm. in uh, South Africa. That was oh, the hardest. Yeah. It was during apartheid. That was very difficult. Australia and America. And uh, yes, agony changes to essentially no the 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 essence of it is uh, your uh, is your vision of yourself and love mm. i mean those that's at the core of most agony but oh our societies do influence um 
heartbreak. Mm. They do cause heartbreak too, uh, because of customs that are inflexible. Yeah, mm. and also um, you you're quite interesting about, and it comes back to what you just said about intuition as well about the whole medium that we now use to meet people. And you're not particularly pro online <laughs> dating, are you? Oh, I've got a line. I'm sorry, it's one of my own lines that I do like. <laughs> I get quite a few letters from young women, and again, men, I say women because that's mainly what I get. Mm. I do get letters from the other side. But I get letters from women saying, uh, I'm in love with this blah, 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 and she's never met him. Uh, usually, the last one was in Aberdeen, by the way. Uh, she, uh, he wanted her to, fly, to go to Aberdeen for a meeting. Mm. And she said, should she? I love him. I know this is the man for me. And I said, you know, go meet him during the day and go with a friend if possible. Um, but I said, you know, it's impossible to fall in love with a man you've never smelled. <laughs> Which is true. I think, I think that is true. I think so too. I know. And that again is how we're like other animals. Yeah. <laughs> but that's also something. <laughs> Should we hear the, because you're reading it well, on intuition, isn't it? Well, it is, yes, more or less. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to hear a reading? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I dare you to say no. <laughs> well, it's... It's not awfully long, and it's, uh, it's a bit of a shortened version. <laughs> but as I've been saying, agony aunts in print are one thing. They help sell publications. It's like show business a little bit. But the agony aunt on the road is a descendant of the white witch, the woman at the bottom of the lane. She's everything that I've already said to you. Uh, she's usually older. She's consulted by generally by women. She's not a therapist, a counselor, or a graduate of any school of thought. Although she did sometimes defer to the eagerness of the general population to believe in magic, but that's something <laughs> she had to do. My own mother used to read palms. She didn't believe in it for one minute, but she liked the attention it got her. You know, <laughs> she'd read my, the, my friends' palms and then their parents' palms, and uh, she taught me. She passed down. I inherited what I guess I can call the handbook that taught me the elements of palmistry. Cairo, it's a very old. So here we go. My turban was askew again. I resembled those plumed matrons I used to watch parade the seafront of Miami Beach. Soho in London was my address now, and our annual summer fair was taking place. A queue was already formed in front of my tent, so I hitched up my long skirt and slipped under the back flap. I was surprised to find my first customer already installed at the round consulting table, and surprised too that it was a young man. Over the years that I have been donating a day to the annual charity fair, my clientele was mostly female. Men did not like to be seen hanging around the tent of Madame Irma. <laughs> Which hand do you want to read? The boy asked in a tenor not long broken, still unsettled. Are you right-handed? The right hand shows what is and what will be. The left hand shows what could have been. His left hand clutched into a fist on the tabletop, and he extended the right one to me. 
a few basic statements about uh, what an energetic and clever young man he was. And then I said, you enjoy competing. You enjoy it to a sporting degree. Whereupon his hand trembled and tried to pull away. So I switched fast to anodyne observations. Travel over water is always safe to predict in a nation <laughs> composed of islands. <laughs> May I see both hands now, side by side. Cunning and witless, though palmistry is, it offers explanations that are easier to describe and to defend than those deriving from intuition. Your life was interrupted by something bad, but listen. I said, looking down from pain-filled eyes to palms before me, open as pages in a book, and then slowly, as if I were reading words written upon them, you're strong of mind and strong of heart. You're going to do much more than overcome the dreadful thing that's happened to you. When the healing is over, your progress will be deep and creative. And oh yes, I turned his hand to reveal the lines on the side. You will be loved too, naughty boy, and loved at last by one whose respect for you equals her passion. He reached into his pocket, clattered coins into the charity's collection box. Then he turned and called out, Dad, a stocky older version of himself, entered the tent, pulling a wheelchair. And it was only when he lifted his son bodily that I saw the boy's legs were both severed below the knee. Thank you, he said. The doctors say they can fit me with new legs. Maybe I'll learn to dance on them. Never had any charlatan received a reward as beautiful as the smile he gave me. <laughs> now, this is a slightly different section and shorter, so don't worry. When scientists and fact finders storm the ancient territory of prophets, they build citadels of their own along the way, along the road to eternal life. These rational constructs are lofty, and some of them are very thick, too. Yes, they exclude nonsense from daily life. But they also cast dreams and individuality into the shade. And they even dim our genius for love by claiming to explain it. We are not in the realm of logic anymore. We are in the realm of emotions, snorted a scientist I heard interviewed recently on the radio. And so he brushed off the interviewer's questions about the motives behind some of the research into genetics. Logic and emotions, if they're incompatible, then so are we all. I once stood next to a bulky stranger on the deck of a boat crossing the channel he was a Canadian, he told me, when I asked the provenance of his accent. Now, we North Americans always, when we meet on the road, uh, we ask each other, where do you come from? You can hear the accent, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure the Brits do it, too. Probably. I've never thought about it. And men continue to introduce themselves as they define, them, define themselves by what they do for a living. <laughs> I'm a nose, he told me. I'm a professional nose. A covert glance at the organ he referred to showed it snub and nondescript. A professional nose, I said. I've heard of private eyes, but professional noses? He explained that thanks to a preternatural sense of smell, professional noses can sniff out the ingredients of perfumes 
in even the most subtle combinations. Mm -hmm. I call it diagnosing, he said with a glance my way, to make sure I got the joke. <laughs> there on the windy deck, it occurred to me that among the other five senses that inform our instincts, the sixth sense, the one called intuition, resembles smell. Its material comes in whiffs and sniffs, and sometimes in a full blast that the receiver cannot escape. Do you, the professional nose began, and with a glance at my white hair, still do anything? <laughs> my job is something like yours, I told him. I'm a professional ear, a professional ear with a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we might exploit that professional ear right now and uh, do any of you have questions? Um, we've got two roving mics, um, so stick your hand up in the air and uh, one of our front of house team will find you. There's one up the yes, back yes. and just speak quite clearly because it's quite a big space. <laughs> you talk about agony aunts. Are there any agony uncles and why should there be a difference? It's a strange thing. Of course there are agony uncles, but they're exceptional. I'm not talking about print now. I'm talking about people who receive confidences from other people. Um, and it is mostly aunts, and it's mostly. I really think it has to do with the competitive nature uh, of men. And also, the professional agony uncles, I've known two who tried at it, and it didn't go too well. Um, they needed a framework and they both became professional counselors, which is not the same thing. They seemed more in need of a framework. Um, and I, uh, it's, it's an interesting area. And maybe in the future things will change, but at the moment, it's usually women, and they usually cons are consulted by women. But a, an increasing number of young men, I've noticed too, uh, come along these days and st will stop and talk to me. Of course, I'm safe now, too. It's not safe for a man to talk to a strange woman on yeah. a train or a plane, because, uh, you know, you, mm. but you reach a certain age, you're safe. <laughs> it's one of, the, one of the advantages of reaching that age. <laughs> well, it does then make me wonder, what, where, where do men put their, their agonies? I fear their agonies, uh, which they certainly have, are expressed sometimes in uh, even more internalized mm. and in ways that perhaps affect them. I cannot speak of this, you know, except my observation is ways that tend to silence them mm. uh, rather than, we women, you see, I, in here at one point, I have a defense of gossip. Mm. Uh, gossip in old English meant a friend. Yeah. Uh, women friends were gossips. Now, men have not got that tradition, not yet, maybe they will, where women talk about each other and about emotions and about the men, not always with a bad, you know, out of mm. genuinely educating each other about the way emotions work. Yeah. I think gossip is like everything else. It's how it's used that's, uh, to do it brutally is, is hideous. Yeah. Uh, and men are not uh, adapted to gossip. They'd rather talk about football scores, because it's safer. It's yeah. safer. Mm. It's a structure. And, they, and you see, the, the, uh, the new feminists would drive me out of town, because they'd say, there's no difference. I'm sorry, there is still. Mm. It is yielding 
and it's beginning to change uh, for the better on mm -hmm. both sides, I hope. But there still is a difference between men and women. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> we got a question here. If you were to choose um, an agony aunt to write to yourself in the UK, who would you choose? Oh. oh I'm afraid that I wouldn't write to her. Uh, I've got a good friend who's a retired doctor who lives in Bristol and we get together and compare agonies. I have friends uh, who, oh, they're sick of it. <laughs> you know, and um, I, I don't think I'd write. You see, I, now here's another thing, and I often recommend this to the young women who write to me. Not online, please. Keep a journal, mm -hmm. and I've always kept a journal. So I suppose you could say I write to myself because when I go back and read the journals, I see periods of great unhappiness that I went through uh, that I barely remember now, you know, as having happened. I remember they happened, but I don't remember the depth because I wrote to myself. And I think it's a very good idea for all of us to keep journals that are private, not online because it's too easy to uh, have an extra glass of wine or something and push send. Uh-uh. No. So I guess I'd write to me. <laughs> it's like talking to oneself. What can you do? <laughs> you got someone down the front. Thank you. You mentioned working in countries which are very different from one another, Japan, Australia, and South Africa, I think you, you uh, told us about. I wondered whether the agony problems that are brought to you, were brought to you in these countries differed, yeah. and relatedly, whether when you receive an agony question uh, online by, uh, by email or whatever, whether it, you need to know the country in which the writer lives. Mm. It's very interesting, that, because sometimes, or oh, the main problem is um, a, the division between different groups of religions or faiths within the Eastern countries. When someone writes to me, uh, sends me an email, she doesn't sign her name, very rarely puts her name, but I can tell from the nature of that problem that it's probably not a Western family in origin. It's probably she's second generation. Not an easy generation to be in a new land as I speak as an American whose father was first generation and mother, by the way, born in a town run by the Ku Klux Klan in Indiana. But that's a whole other bag. <laughs> um, so you see, so often the nature of the problem does give away. However, when I was doing these, um, again, there could be more generalizing because of media, because of the new way of communicating among the young, more lying for sure. Uh, I did find the South African problems terribly difficult because I had nothing but the color of the ink. And you could not refer. Often I would refer people to specialized help or self-help mm. groups. And I didn't know if I could uh, because they weren't there for yeah. both. Oh, that mm. American agony used to be very interesting in a way, much angrier. I would get letters, how dare he? How can he do this to me, you know? And they'd be unhappy, really, but with a rage. While the British women of that period, things are changing. Uh, what have I done wrong? Was the main, the main question. 
It's it, definitely this is. I've done a program, four programs for the BBC, talking to Agonians. Fascinating revelations for me. Really interesting in different parts of the world. And uh, it it makes it makes a difference still, mm -hmm. uh, as indeed what financial, what economic level you come from, social level yeah. that makes a difference too. I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. uh, but the essential issue, love, love, love. That Now, oddly enough, even as I say that, the Japanese letters were very interesting. And I was invited to Japan once or twice to meet readers. Fascinating and beautiful country. The aesthetic is, mm. <laughs> but um, they were very interesting. They were never outspoken about love. It was uh, usually about in-laws, because the girl <laughs> went to belonged to her mother-in-law still, uh, and still indeed in, in yeah. many parts of the world she joins the man's family, and there were problems with in-laws. Mm. Um, and I used to get letters from Japanese men too, uh, and they were all about work. It was the window. I don't know whether it's still true, but as you advanced in your work. In Japan, you you would get um, closer. Your your desk would be moved closer to the window, and it was called <laughs> the window syndrome, and it was very interesting, and very difficult to for me as an outsider, mm. of course. But fortunately, when I was in Japan, I made some good contacts with people who could help, because one of the jobs an agony aunt has to be able to do in print. And not just in print. I've done this one-on-one -on -one in buses and trains too. Is uh, refer people to help groups. Mm. There are wonderful help groups now that were not there, not that long ago. Yeah. Self-help, a lot of them, where you not a not a, a counselor who's going to give you the cure, but where you can share with others who have the same problem. It's always been true of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's increasingly true of um, general problems in our society. That's really interesting, actually. Can I, can I just ask, you say that you are dealing with young people in a different way because of the internet and media um, communication. Does that mean that the normal problems that you've been dealing with all your life are still there, the same problems? But young people are being beset by things like cyberbullying and mm -hmm. things related. Is that the kind of thing that you mean as a new yes. problem? Uh, it, you see, the, the essential problem, sexual jealousy, that's a huge... I've got masses of letters since the beginning of my career about why must he flirt with this, you know, whenever we go out. And usually it boils down to a lack of self-esteem. Yeah. It's often a, a, a woman who doesn't feel worthy of his attention. But now he goes online, doesn't he? Now it's the same problem, but it's much more widespread and complex. And the fool doesn't delete either, which I've never understood. <laughs> he obviously probably wants to be caught out for some reason, which I often suggest, mm. depending on the, you see what I mean? So the problems are the same, but they are expressing themselves in different ways. Um, you know, the a sexual jealousy, again, this friendship with benefits, mm -mm, doesn't work. Um, in, in the old days, it would have been one-on-one, -on -one, but now it's, it's different. But she's amazed that she's jealous. 
She's not supposed to be jealous. <laughs> Do you see? But the nature of the problem is exactly the same. It's just that the way it expresses itself is a little more complex and wide. <laughs> so does that mean then that the nature of the solution is, has, has changed? No, oddly enough, the solution... Oh, I often say to them, I often recommend, turn off the machines. You know, go for a walk <laughs> on your own without your mobile phone with not, no machines. Go spend a mm. whole day with, with, you know, I often do say that. However, the nature of the problem is still know yourself. It's still the lack of self-esteem. Mm. And of course, uh, sexual jealousy is deliberately used in some cases yeah. uh, by people who want the partner to feel jealous because it's a measure, it's a mistake and an ugly measure of their the depths. You know, he still cares about me because he's jealous. Um, so that hasn't hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. That's only one issue. I could go on and on about mm -hmm. all of them. You know, uh, that again have changed the means. If anything has changed a bit, I suppose it's loneliness. Mm. Uh, that definitely is a different and more pervasive problem as we grow much older and our families are smaller. Mm. Yeah, I think question over this way. And then, oh, and then we'll come to you. <laughs> I think, was there a hand up over here? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said um, very early on that you felt men were earthbound. And I thought that was a really interesting word to use, and I, I didn't quite understand what you meant, and I, I was intrigued by it, and I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about these earthbound men. I certainly, it's certainly very, um, I think that was silly of me, because I don't really, uh, there's nothing more earth-binding than giving birth, for example, that really binds you to earth. No, I think, I think men need their construct uh, more. They're, again, they're geniuses. I, you can't call Walt Whitman wasn't an earthbound man, the great poets and artists. But I think in general, men feel more secure. They retire, they have trouble with retirement. Now there's a new problem yeah. too, um, because it used to be retirement was brief. Now it can last for 20 years. Yeah. Because the, 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 I believe a lot of men, and there are exceptions all over the place, but a lot of men do, um, are in, afraid of feeling and their feelings they want to turn into action and or structure. Do you see what I mean? Uh, I'm generalizing and it's awfully unfair because there are so many exceptions. And, and it, when the man talks to me, I can see the exception, mm. you know? Oh, there's another thing about talking to strangers on trains. This is a warning <laughs> to any of you out there. When you've got a four and a half hour journey as I do this evening, don't start to early <laughs> <laughs> with either men or women I've learned <laughs> <laughs> yeah wait till the drinks trolley has come um, there was a question over here yeah hi Irma uh, I don't have a full list in my head but over the years I have noticed how many of our most revered agony aunts have been Jewish. Yes. Uh, Marge Proops, obviously. Yeah. Rainer, Claire Rayner, dear Philip Claire. Hodson, Anna, Anna Rayburn. Anna Rayburn, I think. And of course in America, Dr. The Rose Lando Rose sisters. And, and on and on. And I've never worked out why. There must be a reason for there this is. pattern. Oh, good. I'm back. <laughs> There's a reason, honey. <laughs> I say that 
the Jews were forever being chased out of places and hitting mm. the road. And it's my theory, this sounds very glib, but it is, the way our brothers, or because I'm a Jew, the way our brothers, the way our brothers uh, learned to play the violin, because mm. it was a portable instrument, you could take it on the road. We got common sense, a portable instrument that goes on the road. You, I mean it, you know. There was no, you couldn't be, you couldn't build uh, status uh, as you do in an established society. You had to pick up and run. And that meant you had to be very, also in old Jewish society, there was something called the kitchen court. And that was the women in the kitchen mm. arranging marriages, deciding, you know, that mm, I think your boy and my girl. <laughs> While the men were at what was called the rabbi's court. Mm. And in the rabbi's court, they talked about existential issues to do with the future, to do with destiny, to do with. But the kitchen court is where the agony aunt got her original training. And of course, all of that has changed now, mm. and uh, so much the better. Let it be open. Let everything be open to everyone. <laughs> but that's another issue. I don't talk politics. Oh. <laughs> One up there. Um, hello. You used the phrase earlier, um, "new feminists," um, that you'd be run out of town. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by new feminists, and how are they different? I guess from. Old, old feminists. <laughs> Watch having, yourself. Do you find yourself having uh, run-ins, increasingly having run-ins? I was. So. I must. I must admit to you that I was never. Um, I'm very. I'm a very bad ist. I'm bad at isms. <laughs> I was definitely for the liberation, of course, for women to be freed, freed into the choices we wanted to make. But I didn't like having anyone tell me what those choices, <laughs> what my choices should be. And I think the feminists did kind of tend to do that a little bit in the old days. Mm. Uh, I think the new feminists, it seems to me, are working for more basic uh, freedoms in the workplace and uh, getting guys more involved with home life, which I can't say is a bad thing. Mm. But in general, I'm not an expert on any ism. It's isms, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a question over in this direction? Oh, I've lost track of the other mic. Oh, there we go. And there's the other mic. Uh, there you go. <laughs> this is going to have to be our last, I'm afraid. So, so no pressure to make it a good one. <laughs> make it brilliant. Do you, do you ever get frustrated at lack of feedback? Do you ever sit there and think, now what? What Jolene, next? I've yeah. got to tell you, sometimes a lack of feedback is a lot better than the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I had a death threat from America. Yeah. Yeah. We know where you live and we're coming to get you. Mm. Uh, for mentioning abortion, which I would never recommend. That's yeah. not my place or my business. But it was a young girl, 16, uh, pregnant. And I said, these are the things you can do. Mm. And I had to mention that. Again, she, but you see what I mean. Um, and uh, yeah, there was a death threat. I also once a woman stopped in, in the street in front of me and threw her arms around me and said, thank you so much. And I must admit, I, it's, you don't, I don't often cry these days, but <laughs> I came very close. Uh, the feedback is delightful to receive, but it comes infrequently. Mm. And that's also the nature of the beast. This is in print, because in print, that, that problem arose two months before it, the answer. 
I am not supposed to answer any letters that are not actually in print. Now, don't tell anybody, <laughs> but I do sometimes. <laughs> I do, because you have to. Mm. Sometimes you must, because it's a problem that's a burning issue. And, uh, but in the main, uh, the feedback is very... Now, Agony Aunt Online received tons of it. Uh, because uh, everybody agrees and then disagrees and it goes on and on mm. and on and on until you lose sight of what problem began it. <laughs> you know, how did this all begin? <laughs> you know, but they get loads of it. Some of them rely on it altogether. But in print, not that much. Mm. And when it's good, it's bliss. It's wonderfully tear-making. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what happens next with us is that I am going to take Irma next door to the signing tent because we have a last run out of time and that did not feel like Gosh. an hour. I know, I know. But that was absolutely fascinating oh, and we could have just kept talking. And thank all of you. Uh, thank you for coming. But huge thanks, Irma. Thanks oh, my so pleasure. Much. Really fun. That was fun. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.